For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Greetings and welcome to the Believe Knicks podcast. I'm Matthew Miranda, as always, joined by Stacey Patton. But I'll tell you what is not, as always. The New York Knicks have won more playoff games in the last 40 hours than they did the previous nine years. So if it feels like there's a lot of excitement and stuff going on, there is. There is a definite energy and buzz right now around Nick fans and the Nick team, and there should be. And we're going to get into a whole bunch of why. Um, but first, as always, betonline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. But online is always your sports information headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs, including but not limited to basketball, Major League Baseball, National Hockey League. Rangers are still up. Devils didn't deserve to win, but that's hockey, including UFC and even boxing. But online is the fastest, easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options, and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE in Espanol B-L-E-A-B, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Stacey Patton, what is your favorite casino card game? Oh, it's easily Texas Hold'em Poker. Um, yeah? Okay. Nice. To... um play a lot and um I've, I've played a lot um i actually wrote a thesis when i was an undergrad on a very simplified version of poker von neumann poker um look it up um but uh but yeah definitely poker i'm a simple girl i'll stick with blackjack it's about as high as i can count i'm gonna leave it at that um plus the <laughs> if anyone remembers the blackjack scene in in um Good Lord. What's his name? Austin Powers. Um, It still makes me laugh. Like, every single time I see it, it still kills me. Um, So, let's talk Knicks. And today, Sunday, they just completed a 102-93 win over the Cavaliers to take a 3-1 lead. Knicks won both games at home. Pretty much led most, if not all, of the way in those two games at home. In eight quarters, Cavaliers only scored more than 24 and a quarter once, and that's when they scored 26. There's a lot of ways you can say it. Um, I mean, game. it has to be right. What's that? Must be the third quarter of this game, right? Yeah, I think it was. It was, yeah. I mean, it felt like an explosion. It was 26 points. So <laughs> that tells you, yeah. That, that shows you, I mean, that shows you where it's at. Um, I remember, well, we get that. Um, there's a lot of different ways to characterize the two games. They were different. Obviously, game three was was more of an ass whooping. This one was more like game one, a little closer throughout. Um, even though the Knicks mostly had the lead, although I'm sure we'll talk about the specifics of the fourth corner lineup that put the game away. There's a lot to to talk about. The thing that stands out the most to me, I Tom Thibodeau made another adjustment that I wasn't sure I would see from Tom Thibodeau, which was in that fourth quarter. I mean, Mitchell Robinson had a very strong game, very impactful, uh, but he put Isaiah Hartenstein in, and that was the right play. Hartenstein was brilliant in the fourth. Julius Randle struggled. He has struggled shooting throughout the series. He's had some good moments defensively, but in this game he was kind of just struggling, period, with everything. Um and Tom Thibodeau played him the whole third quarter. It wasn't happening. 
fourth quarter, he brought in Obi Toppin. And this kind of Hartenstein, Toppin, uh, RJ, Josh Hart, Brunson lineup. Really just that was the that was the difference. That was the separation. And props to Thibodeau. I was wondering five minutes left, four minutes left. We've seen that all season. In those moments, even if Toppin's playing well, he's gonna bring back in Randall. He did not. Um that's what stood out to me the most from this game in a positive sense, though God knows, thankfully, there are many more positives to pick from. Uh, what stood out to you from this game the most from game four? Uh, I'm going to start with RJ Barrett. Um, I mm-hmm. thought he was incredible. Um, he was, RJ Barrett was, I don't, maybe people will disagree. RJ Barrett was the best player on the floor. Um, I don't Has he gotten he- that many RJ Barrett chance his, the prior few years combined that he did today he got at least four chances in, in this game today yeah he was um he was incredible he's been much maligned throughout the season look i i have never been that down on rj barrett i've never been that high on rj barrett yeah. there were people giving jimmy butler comps to him i didn't see that because jimmy butler is a freak in terms jimmy butler go back and look at his college stats his free throw rate was mm-hmm. At its lowest in any of his four years, 0.85. His actually freshman year, smaller sample size, he had a free throw rate above one, which for those keeping score at home, that means that you're getting more free throws than field goal attempts. He was a, and RJ is really good at drawing free throws. Jimmy Butler is an outlier in that. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of the Rosen comps early too to Barrett, which never made sense. Yeah, he just he doesn't have that mid-range game. What he does have, but he can get two feet in the paint at will. Mm-hmm. And when he makes good decisions, that's a really lethal combination. Mm-hmm. Does it and but I always felt like that was his main thing. He can get two feet in the paint, and he is a good passer when he is making his reads, when he is conscious of those. And I've also never felt like that was an all-star unless he's playing elite defense. Because I think that, you know, that that is a third option, a guy who can kind of attack closeouts and make the right read off of them. But if he's not adding elite defense and he's not a great shooter, well, over the last two games, he went three for six from three in game three. Um, he did not get his threes to fall today, and he struggled weirdly from the free throw line. I don't think there's anything to that. It was just kind of he missed some. But um, – the larger point is that um, he was just um, – he did everything you could have asked. And when he's giving that – and, like, on defense, his effort has been superb all series long. I mean, he's been great on Darius Garland to the extent that he hasn't been able to guard Darius Garland. It's had a lot more to do with the Cavs scheming Brunson onto Garland, and, and it's really not something RJ can fight through. The last two games, he has been superb, and tonight he was the best player on the floor – and yeah, like, you know, Stephen A. Smith has been crying all season long. Why didn't we trade for Donovan Mitchell? You left RJ Barrett, which first of all is a false statement, right? It was not, they were not getting, they were not getting Donovan Mitchell without trading RJ Barrett and Quinn Grimes and quite possibly Emmanuel quickly or giving up four first round picks. So it's a false feeling. But even if you really put that, Donovan Mitchell was in hell today. And we can talk about it later. And uh, I, 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 Matt, if I forget, I need my Deuce and Bride love session today. He's mm-hmm. fucking awesome. But mm-hmm. RJ was, and, and the thing is that like Brunson, Brunson had some big shots. I'm not like Brunson. You know, is he he did what you know you're gonna do. But he had some horrible decision making. He did. And mm-hmm. especially when the Cavs were getting back in the game, and it seemed like every time during that third quarter when the Cavs were punching back, they really had it going. RJ was making plays either on defense, getting switched onto Garland, or um, or getting to the hole in, in a way that Brunson couldn't, or um, or making passes and, and making the right play. Like it was everything you everything we've wanted to see from RJ Barrett. You gave him a hundred million dollar contract. You know, Knicks fans have been mixed about was it worth it and all of that. And he's doing that. And and yeah, like you wrote an article about this, Matt. I, I want to give you a chance to talk about this because you wrote a very prescient article. Uh, during, I think, when Knicks fans' belief in uh, in RJ may have been this Nader, Nader? I don't, I don't know the N-A-D-I-R. I don't know the pronunciation of the Nader. word. Nader. Nader. Yes. Uh, you wrote a good article about it, but he's only 22 years old. Like, 22-year-olds, unless you're Anthony, like, 
we hold him to the standard. He's a third overall pick, so he's got to be Anthony Edwards. He's got to be on this line. He he out he outplayed Donovan Mitchell today. He was better on both ends, and um, and he kept the Knicks afloat. Like they they don't they don't come close to winning this game without RJ Barrett. He was incredible. That that's what stuck out most to me, and and I think that applies to game game three as well. Like you know, the other guys showed up. The defense was better, or you know, they were more successful against the Cavs. And the Cavs had some good adjustments today. We can talk about that too. I think the main one was second half using Garland more in off ball action and, and putting Brunson in tougher spots. Um, but um, RJ Barrett was the best player on the floor today. I, I don't think there's, and, and in a series where everyone said the Cavs had the advantage because they had the best player in the series. Well, their quote unquote best player in the series, you know, the guy that everyone's talking about, went four for 17. A big part of that was RJ Barrett. And RJ Barrett was fantastic. There's something very different about being on this side of this kind of a series, um, for me anyway, as a Nick fan, because it's such a flip on what has been the prevailing logic around their team building for a long time. The Knicks have often been the team that has either pursued or succeeded in getting like the best name in the deal or when the Knicks played the Pacers in, in 2013, like Paul George was great at that point already, but Carmelo Anthony was higher in MVP voting. Carmelo Anthony was, I think still more highly regarded as a player. Um, He was the biggest name in that series. So it came of it. Um, There are, there's, there's three really interesting uh, kind of exemplars of, where the Nick depth is winning in this series. One is RJ Barrett. And the fact that if you look at Cleveland, if Mitchell is not really hitting, hopefully for them, Darius Garland is. And we saw that today. Like it was a game because even though Mitchell wasn't really, especially in the second half, Mitchell, Garland was there. After the five turnovers in the first half, shout out to Deuce McBride. But I mean, Josh Hart's defense was incredible all game. But yeah. So after. If if those if those two are not happening, there's nothing going like for Cleveland in terms of creation. The Knicks are fortunate in that Brunson has kind of found himself, I think, the last couple of games. But even in a series where their All NBA player just doesn't have it, they have someone that okay, we can leave Randall on the bench because we have a guy who's having the kind of game that he's having that we know he can have, and RJ Barrett too. The Cavaliers came in, I think rightfully, lauded for having a pretty exceptional pair of bigs. The Nick bigs have outplayed them. And it's not just Mitchell Robinson at times being better than, than those two on his own. But Hartenstein, in this game in particular, in the in the late third, fourth quarter, Hartenstein did everything. Hartenstein, there were block shots, there were outlet passes um, that got breaks going. Um, pressure that he put on on the Cavs on the offensive class, and they don't have again after Allen and Mobley. Like Mobley was in foul trouble, they still played him a ton, but they don't have. Okay, we're gonna sit you the rest of the quarter or the rest of the half because we know so and so. They don't have that. I'm still mystified as to why they let Kevin Love go the way that they did this year because he seems to me like he would have been great in a series like this. Third, and you mentioned him before. When the Knicks were in a spot of, we need to go deep into our bench, like we're, we're bringing McBride, we need McBride to come in and do something. When the Knicks go deep into their bench, they're still bringing in people. He came in, he was playing, he played great defense. He had a three, I think, in the first quarter, uh, maybe late in the quarter. They're going deep into their bench, bringing a guy in that they trust is going to make something happen, and he does. There's really no one, now that um, Levert has become a starter, really, for the Cavs, there's no one who comes off their bench that I have any concern about. I, I cringe a little every time a Coral takes a three because I'm terrified like, if he hits three in a row, what does this mean? But like that doesn't seem like it's happening. Um, in terms of what they're actually producing, just yet another example of Donovan Mitchell is the best player asterisk in this series because Jalen Brunson did not oh, score. Yeah. You know, Every time I, I wrote about this in my recap, every time Jalen Brunson sees the and the Don Mitchell has not played bad defense. 
am I with, are you with me with that? Like, he, I don't think he's no, playing yeah. defense. There's just like there's, there's just nothing something. you can do. It, it, I, I know you you watch more. I was very much a toddler, small kid when the Knicks played. Or sorry, when Hakeem Olajuwon is prime. But yeah, it felt a lot like David Robinson trying to guard Hakeem Olajuwon. Like, like you see all these clips, and it's like David Robinson is in the right position. He doesn't. He stays on the first fake, stays on the second fake, third fake. Oh, he gets beat. Or if he just stays down the whole time, Hakeem Olajuwon just keeps a jumper. Like, what can what more can Donovan Mitchell do? Like, there's nothing he can do. Just and I think there's a psychological aspect. I think, and I'd be curious to your point. You know, if you've seen this before, but it, it seems like Brunson just ups his confidence so much and his belief when he has Donovan Mitchell on him. And Donovan Mitchell doesn't seem to be, you know. He seems to be playing more aggressive, but it just doesn't matter. He does. There, I, I would say the difference there is that <clears throat> Olajuwon like, was better than David Robinson on both ends of the floor. Better. And if Brunson is guarding Mitchell the whole game, I think yeah. Mitchell's probably putting up better numbers. Um, but I about better numbers, but I know that they would probably go toe to toe. But yeah, to your point, I mean, I. I it's really been striking watching as the series has played out the things that you expected to happen, like the Knicks have better depth, and that's been extremely evident throughout the series, and things that maybe you didn't anticipate happening, which is that really for the Knicks, in terms of the offensive load, I would say not only Barrett, but Josh Hart has been a, a more consistent contributor over the course of the series than Randall has been. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, maybe. I haven't looked at the numbers, but you know, Mitch has been pretty steady. Randall had, I think, 19 and... Um, he had 7 think, and 8 in the first half. The Knicks had 11 offensive rebounds in the first half. Oh, they uh, absolutely... In the first half alone. And they also won the turnover battle. Like, the thing is, that the fact that the Knicks were only up 9 at halftime was a little disappointing because, like, you say, tur- like, the Cavs forced turnovers, the Knicks are great on the offensive glass. The Knicks won both of those handily. Yep. And they, they shot more threes, and they were most good looks. I was a little worried. They're like, they're only enough nine. And in the third quarter, that kind of came. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was expecting that. I did not. I was very, I I thought Cleveland was going to win this game because I thought the teams are close enough that it was hard for me to imagine either team taking a three to one lead. They just seemed very evenly matched to me. I thought the Knicks would lose. And then game five would be like, you know, a, a battle like all the way down to the end. But I just thought probability-wise, two teams that seem very close. Maybe I was wrong about that. Maybe this is, is similar to Atlanta a couple of years ago where you've got two teams. I think the Knicks and Hawks had the same record and the Knicks had been better in the regular season head-to-head. But it just played out that, you know, when they met game after game, the Knicks did not have answers for things that the Hawks presented. and. None of the last two wins, there was nothing fluky about them. You know, I, I I saw some, even the Knicks, I think, were maybe to stay humble. After game one, I didn't get a, a real strong sense that a lot of people thought, oh, the Knicks were just a better team. I, I think, oh, they had a lot of offensive rebounds, and Randall got that one at the end, but it was anybody's game. And obviously, New York and Cleveland are very, very, very different vibes and arenas, but... I don't. I didn't see anything in two games. I was very nervous after game two that the Hawks had found an adjustment that I wasn't until you see. I didn't know if, if the Knicks would counter because when Atlanta made an adjustment, I felt like, oh, that was it. I don't feel like I saw anything over the last two games that has me afraid that Cleveland's going to win two in a row, much less three in a row. Yeah, I think... Um... I think Tibbs deserves a lot of credit. I've been critical on this pod and on other places. It's been a very fun, you know, I've um, on Twitter, I've definitely gone at, and this pod too, gone at GB Biggerstaff for giving the refs. I think he's had good, good adjustments. Um, You know, he, after game one, he forced the issue and he said, if you're going to hide Brunson, we're putting him in screens. And the Knicks responded by putting Brunson on Garland. And that worked for a game and a half. And then in the second half, I, I thought I thought it was a great adjustment. They started Garland off ball in the corner multiple times. Even in the first half, 
Brunson was clearly top blocking and playing ball denial, right? And the Cavs really adjusted by having Jared Allen set up set away a little bit farther away from the rim, so Mitch couldn't just stay in the paint. And you know, if you want to top block Garland, he can back cut and, and get to the rim. If you don't top block Garland, you're going to be in a pick and roll with Garland, and um, he's going to have it on the move with some speed and some space. And that's a tough situation. And that third quarter adjustment, I think, was great from from Bickerstaff. And Tibbs counter adjusted by moving Brunson off Garland. You know, the Cavs had to bring in Okoro, so that's a little bit more playable at that point. Um, it's it's actually, you know, a lot of the – it's a 3-1 series, but a lot of the X's and O's and, like, it's just been a very fascinating series. You know, how the Knicks – how the Cavs guarded – the Cavs got better at guarding the guard screens, right? Like, the Knicks killed, um, killed Cleveland with guard screens, but Brunson isn't the greatest quick decision maker. And especially when you have Hart and RJ out there, um, you know, especially when you're setting it with Hart because Hart isn't the greatest three-point threat. Um, you know, Brunson started going to more one-on-ones. The Knicks decided to adjust by bringing Mitchell Robinson to the screen, which, like, I thought Mitchell Robinson was great. This is not any, like, I mean, he had seven and eight in the first half, a bunch of monster offensive rebounds. He had called for the most bullshit offensive rebounding call I've ever seen in my life. He literally went straight up and got it over Jarrett fucking Allen. Like, Mitchell Robinson has been amazing this series. And I, I think to your point that you mentioned earlier, I think, one of the reasons Hardenstein closed over him is the free throw shooting. Hey, he went. He made two of three from free throws line tonight. I'll just... take two of three from Mitchell Robinson any night. You know, <laughs> 67%. Maybe that's a better way to put it. But, um, you know, I thought that, um, you know, the like, but then, and I think it was a very easy difference. I'm not going to get into this. The Knicks started Hart. Hart's decision, or Hart's defense on Donovan Mitchell was incredible all game. Like, we should probably talk more about how the Knicks forced Donovan Mitchell in a game four where I thought he was really going to go off before the game. They forced him to four for 17, and the defense was just incredible. Deuce McBride deserves a ton of credit for, like, having Mitchell in hell then. But so does Josh Hart. And um, and I think the Knicks, um, they played to, you know, they, they, they really, you know, but even when there was the traps with Hart out there, I thought Brunson got into a little bit of ISO decision making, but you could also see like when IQ came in, quickly came in, the Cavs respect him a lot. And like Brunson was very easily able to reject those screens and get to good spots because they did not want to give him the side of the screen and allow quickly and force help and allow quickly to get free. And I think that made a big difference. For some reason, Brunson went away from that. I did not love this game from Jalen Brunson. He made some incredible shots because he always will. But from a decision-making perspective, I thought he could have been a lot better. I thought we could have put this game earlier, away earlier. But, hey, with another point guard, you're not getting that shot-making either. So that's kind of the trade-off. He's still 26. Um, but, um, but yeah, like, I think that, um, you know, I think they've won. They're up 3-1. And, Matt, I know I'm not trying to rip Julius Randle. I know you've been a guy who's been on Julius Randle's side for a long time, even at his lowest depths last season. Um, I really actually like the way he's played games one through three. Tonight was tough. Um, I did, I just, I don't know if it was the injury. It was a quick turnaround. He's coming off an injury. It was a 36 hour turnaround. Um, and I'm not saying that to make excuses. I'm saying that because I looked at him and I just didn't see a guy who was, who had it, you know, and I, I, it's tough not to believe that injury didn't play a part in that. But, you know, every time he had Mobley on him, it seemed like he would take a step back three, no matter how much shot, shot clock was left on defense or multiple times. He just watched rebounds or didn't help. Um, and I, he just didn't have it. And sometimes that happens. Um, you know, at times it felt like that was the case with Brunson. But I, I wouldn't rule out the fact that the possibility that it was health-related for Randall. And I'll give Tibbs a lot of credit. He's closed with Obi Toppin. And we should talk about Obi Toppin because I don't think Tibbs closed with Obi Toppin because he's making threes or, like, making shots. He had five points. He had a three and he had, like, a really nice – I mean, he had a really nice drive on Donovan Mitchell. When Mitchell was like, oh, you got no handle. I'm going to press you. And Obi was like, fuck around mm-hmm. and find out. And Obi scored on mm-hmm. 
but it wasn't that that kept him in the game. He was extremely impressive on the glass. He had a couple of big off that that play started with a Obi going to no man's territory where only he can go, you know, in, in terms of vertical leap to get the rebound. He had a couple of big offensive re- defensive rebounds. Uh, I thought his defense was, you know, his effort was great. And the Cavs, when they tried to ISO him, it was usually with guys like Shetty Osman or whatever. I thought Obi was great. And I give Tibbs a lot of credit on that note too, for, for closing with Obi when that's not something he's been wont to do. I wasn't surprised he closed with Hardenstein. He's done that a lot because I think, yeah, he's a better free throw shooter than Mitch. But the Obi thing was a, was a sign of like, yeah, Tibbs. And it's, it's a emblematic of his whole season. He's been willing to adapt and adjust um, in a way that I think a lot of Knicks fans weren't, uh, weren't confident he could do. Toppin's been a critical player, regardless of what his numbers have been, simply by virtue of what his presence does to the pace of a series where Cleveland wants to play as slow as they can, and the Knicks will very easily fall into that. Um, even if even if Toppin's not scoring 20 a game, his presence has been enormous. Like, every time he's been out there, he's had an impact. Um, which, again, you know, you're talking about maybe the the eighth guy on the team um, is able to come in and just have that kind of an impact in a series against, I think, I think part of what's hurting Randall and I'm, I think when they have a few games, a few days off between games, hopefully they'll, if, if they see this, they'll work on it. I think Randall's running into a problem where he's mostly been guarded the entire series by one of the best defenders in the league. And Randall is still sticking to his, and I think he's a, there's, there's a formulaicness sometimes to him, and it works for him. But Randall's still doing his regular season thing, which is I'm shooting threes or I'm going into the paint. I'm not doing the mid-range. I'm going to be like more efficient. And Mobley knows that, has had weeks now to prepare for it and study it. And that's why like Randall's not going to get a good look on a sidestep three with Mobley blanketed all, all over him behind the line. And as soon as he crosses the arc, Mobley knows, like, okay, he's not... He's not settling here. He's going to get closer. There were two baskets that Randall made in the game. One of them, the first one that he made in the first quarter, was this used to be, you know, wisdom, and now it's frowned upon. He pump faked from a three, and he took a step in, and he picked up for a long two, and he made it because there was far less pressure or expectation from the defense that he was going to take that shot. The other basket he made was some kind of a, like, a, I think a baseline fadeaway. Again, mid-range. Randall may have to make that adjustment. If if teams are going to study his tape this year and see his entire profile was threes and paint, you're going to have to get into the mid-range again, probably, just to give them something to think about, especially defended by – this isn't some Joe. Evan Mobley is, is that guy on defense. You've got to give him something different. You've got to give him a change-up. I mean, I think, I think if you notice in the third quarter, there were two timeouts. Where um, where Tibbs was pissed and the Knicks were screwing up, and both times he set screens to get Randall a shot at 15 feet or below. Mm-hmm. The first time Randall was directly involved in a screen with Jalen Brunson, and he didn't immediately get the ball, but the help defense allowed him to get the ball on the sidestep, and he took a tough shot. He took a sh- tough 10 foot fadeaway over again, as to your point, Evan Mobley. But at 10 feet, Jalen, uh, sorry, Jalen, Julius Randle is a different player than at 16 to 20 feet. That's something the Knicks have realized all season. It's something they've gotten away from. Um, like, that was a very tough shot. And it like and yet I wasn't surprised Randle made it because he can use his body to really protect against Mobley. So Mobley can't block the shot. And it's a shot he's just very comfortable with. And I think that... The, what I was surprised with is they didn't get Randall involved in the screen action a lot. Another surprising thing was the, the Cavs survived the second quarter. This was a chance the Knicks had to blow the game open. Yeah. He said, Shetty Osman on Julius Randall. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. if you don't want to ice, you know, you have Allen Payne, you know, Randall using the greatest decision maker against double teams. Have him screen. Right? So if you want to switch Shetty Osman on Brunson, we win. They want to recover. We win, and, and um, if Shazman is gonna, if they're gonna trap, then you have Randall open for three, and we'll take those threes. 
And I just think, I think game two, the game plan was good. Randall, I think Randall still needs to just like, Randall hit one three in game two. And then he kept pump faking when Mobley would close out on him. Like, oh, I hit a three. Mobley should close out on me like I'm Ray Allen. Like, no, it's going to happen. The game plan is still the same. You got to shoot. And or if you're not going to shoot, then you got to move it quickly or you got you to gotta drive immediately. But the pump fake and then slow it down has not worked for Randall in this series. And, um, you know, I think that's an, but like, I, I think that's an adjustment he's capable of making. And it's, it's crazy. Like to your point, he's there. He has, I don't think he's their best player. I think we disagree there. I think Brunson is their best player, but Brunson has not, Brunson hasn't had a great game this series yet. He had 27 on 24 shots in game one. He was not good in game two. He's made big shots all the time, and to, to to be fair, like I'm not saying that Brunson isn't their their fail safe on every offensive possession and hasn't made good on that, and that like that's a big difference between this team and the team that lost the Hawks. But like he has been great, and Randall has been like even game one he had a great first half. Since the first half of game one, no. Randall's been bad on offense, mixed bag on defense. I don't think he's done much to sunk the Knicks, but. Without those two guys, the Knicks were 3-1. Like, that's kind of nuts. If you told me, like, neither of them was going to be, like, really good this series, and maybe up 3-1, I, I would have um, I would taken a bet. And, and mentioning what they're without, this performance and the success they had against Mitchell all came with Quentin Grimes not available after the shoulder contusion in Game 3. Um, so the theme of the episode is depth, depth, depth. They lose their starting top perimeter defender and floor spacer, and they just keep on rolling. To your point about Brunson and his numbers, like Brunson, <laughs> Brunson has had what you would call great 90s playoff games. Like 27 points on 24 shots is a great – and this series, like I'm not going to lie. This is a 90s series. Yeah. It's very comfortable for me to watch this series. It's very – like I've had to dial back to my old perspective on things. And it makes a lot of sense. Like I feel very comfortable watching games where, you know, if they're if they're pushing, there was a point early when Cleveland was on pace for like ninety something, and I was like, "What the? F-? Like this defense is bullshit." Like it was nice being back in that place instead of I always in the game and, and calculating like, and so if this score held the rest of the game, like this ratio, what would it be? And like it's one thing. Like so many games this season, it's been like, all right, this would be one thirty to. To 118. I don't mind a 99-79 game. I don't mind the Cavs three different times not scoring 100. Like, I'm good with that. Have the Cavs scored? They scored 100 in game two. They had 107, I think, in game two. The Knicks have held them under 100 points three times out of four, including the lowest scoring total of the entire season. And, by the way, let's recap. The Knicks were the 18th best defense in the league by defensive rating this year. Um, they did not. I think some of that is padded by late season. Like if you remember the, the end of the season, it seems like every team was good. they were playing the Pacers and the Pelicans, and they just didn't give a fuck. And they were like, "Well, yeah. score one forty doesn't matter." Yeah, they were winning, but they were running. Um, and you know, there was just but well, running wouldn't affect the points for possession. But like, the point is, um, you know, they but they but like at their peak, I think they were like the ninth best offensive defensive reading team, but they've never been elite this year. They have played better on defense, and I think part of that is they just have more offensive options. And um but man, like and, and I guess the question is like how sustainable do you think that this is? I think you see some of the flaws, but um Xavier Justin from um from Nick's Phillips School, great follow, you guys should follow him. He said, in a way, this is a bit of a referendum on the Knicks' philosophy. The Knicks' philosophy this season, they had the third-best offense with Tom Thibodeau team because they said, we have multiple guys who can get to the paint. Jalen Brunson, Emmanuel quickly, great mid-range. When I say mid-range, I really mean the short mid-range area, so floaters in the paint mid-range. We have those. Those lead to more offensive rebounds. It was we don't know how much the Knicks are using analytics, but it clearly um, parallels a lot of the analytics that are that are on, out on those those shots. Um, they said we're going to win the offensive rebound battle. We're going to get the most efficient mid range shots, and um, and we're going to 
and 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 we're not going to turn the ball over because we're an ISO heavy team. Um, and he said, you know, this is kind of a referendum on that. After game two, it looked like, well, maybe that doesn't work. The last two games, it, it definitely seems like it has. Um, and I think it could have worked a lot better. I think Brunson actually is still growing as a decision maker. Uh, we forget he's only 26. Um, you know, 26-year-olds aren't at their peak in terms of decision-making. Lord knows I wasn't. Um, so, um, you know, like, to what extent does that play into how you're viewing the series? Like, you know, is this a referendum if the, on if the Knicks can win it all or, or, or B, get to that next level? And we'll see if, I mean, Milwaukee is down 2-1, by the way. I don't want to peek ahead, but after we're up 3-1 and there's a chance we might not have to face Giannis. I can't help but do that. <laughs> I think greed is the human sin. Um, but to what extent do you feel like, I mean, is this making you more comfortable that like, you know, as much as we might hate some of these fronts and ISO possessions and Randall ISO possessions that maybe this can work? I think it's confirmation that what they tried to do last year that didn't work. I think what they learned in 2021 and they tried to address a year later, they got right this time. And you're seeing that payoff in the, in a playoff matchup where, in one sense, what is happening is very similar to what happened two years ago. You get to the playoffs and your leading scorer has been completely flummoxed by the defense that he's encountering. But the difference is, this time around, you have a maybe superior option um, to turn to. And you see that Cleveland is no less focused on trying to stymie Brunson than Atlanta was with Randall. The difference is Brunson's better cut out for it. And Brunson is one of a couple of guys that you have now who can do that quickly. He's developed, obviously, also, and, and other Knicks, I think, have as well. But I think this year affirms what they learned two years ago that failed with Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier, which was understandable. Like, Dalen Brunson wasn't available two years ago. Uh, Kemba Walker was. Kemba Walker didn't cost a lot. Um and you could see the thinking behind it. Even though he wasn't the right piece, here was a guard who could create for himself. Even Walker with his struggles. Right. Like, maybe it would have worked out the way the Derek Rose trade did. You know, who knows? Maybe Kemba still had a 40-something point game, but he was just on his last legs. Fournier did bring some of what they wanted. Like, he was an even more prolific three-point shooter than Reggie Bullock was. But you couldn't have Fournier and a subpar defensive guard next to him and have that team work. Like you couldn't do it. They learned, they took new steps. They took, I think, judicious steps. Jalen Brunson cost nothing but money already on a deal. That is a bargain. They promoted a younger, more athletic player with more upside whose ceiling becomes more evident. The more minutes he gets in Quentin Grimes. I think this year is very much an affirmation of 21. And I think, and it's the only reason I will be a little sad not to see the Bucks, but trust me, I'm not saying that I'll be sad if the Bucks aren't there. Um, I'm curious now to see what do the Knicks learn at the next level of competition about themselves that we don't see yet or that we don't know yet. Because I think I'll look ahead. Like we were talking earlier about 90s, you know, are there other teams in the Knicks past that are, that this run is reminding me of? And there's two that do from the 90s. Um, one is the 92 Knicks, which was Riley's first season with the team because that was a team that had been okay two years prior, um, but didn't get as far as they wanted that year and then slumped the year after to a sub 500 team and then bounced back and brought in players. You know, you want to look at Starks and Mason and, and find a direct um, through line to Josh Hart. Like it's there. Um, there's a similarity there in that you have this re-energized team with a really nice core of multidimensional players who have made their stamp like on the conference already. The other one that just the way the East is unfolding, they remind me of also is the 99 team. Because if you remember in 99, they beat Miami in the first round. Um, they were going to play Atlanta had had... Atlanta had the worst second round team I ever saw was the 99 Atlanta Hawks. And the you're Knicks, led by a Michigan State player like Steve Smith, you must be a shitty person. I don't know why. For some reason, there's a, there was a dude. I mean, they had players. They had Mutombo. Good idea, writer, right at the time. 
I don't remember him being on that team. Um, let me check really quick. The guy that I remember, I know they had Mutombo. I know they had, I think, still Mookie Blaylock. Um, I know that's like I think that was their best offensive player, at least. They had a dude named Chris Crawford. He was his white dude, who I had never heard of before. He had a good year for them. Um, he became a starter. Let's see. Yeah, Steve Smith, Mookie Blaylock, Crawford, Grant Long. No, no Isaiah Ryder. Uh, Smith, Mookie, Matumbo, Grant Long, who had been in Miami, uh, Rashawn McLeod. Not not like a big team, but they had this guy, Chris Crawford, who I'd never heard of before. He was a young dude, 23, very athletic, um, who started for them. Random player for some reason that always, to me, epitomized like that really lousy Hawks team. The Knicks got a break in the second round. They played a, a much easier team than they had faced in the first round, and that gave them a pretty good... Um, open shot to the conference finals where they met like a real legit Indiana team. I think Cleveland, I think the Knicks could get Miami in the next round. I don't know what's up with Giannis's back, but the Heat have won two games already. Obviously Giannis, if he returns, will not be at peak condition. And if he doesn't return, who knows? We'll need if more than, even if he's not at peak, we'll need more from Julius Randle and they've gotten the series. Like we need him. They would. Oh certainly. But I'm just saying like if they get to that series I think Cleveland is better than Miami, just like I think in 99 Miami was much better than Atlanta. But it would be a great break in the second round. And then, you know, if you think that people are excited now about the Knicks and would be excited about a game, a series against the Heat with the conference finals on the line, imagine if waiting for you in the conference finals is the Celtics. Like, <laughs> and, and, I mean, so... Do you think that series would be hype? I mean... The escalation is already unreal. Like I've be, already seen, you've I've already seen a thousand dollars. That's what I honestly think right now. If they play the Celtics, I don't know if I could handle the sudden jump emotionally. Like in the nineties, you got to build from year to year, but now, like I've seen it every game, literally every game in the series after a win. Like there is a path to the conference finals that I can see, and after the loss, it was like, you know, just. Well, let's, let's talk about let's talk about the Bucks at full strength. Now, one thing is, I, I'm gonna I want to go easy on Randall because I think he, his effort has been. Good. You realize that if we talk about the Bucks now and the Knicks lose this series, yeah, I, we are I, we are risking the ire of Nick Nation by we, jumping jumping ahead like this. Honestly, like global warming is a threat. Like I can, I, I'm not worried about. Are you calling the series over? Are you saying it's done? No. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not, but it's not even like because the Knicks are three one, or even because they have home court advantage. It's like they just like the Cavs are always going to give up a good shot against the Knicks if the Knicks don't fuck up. That's how I feel. Like mm-hmm. the Knicks can get a good shot every possession, and um, I don't. That's not a knock on the Cavs' defense, but the Knicks have the personnel to do that. Why do you think the Knicks have had a level of success against a very highly ranked defense that mo- a lot of other teams didn't seem to find? I think they have guys at the right spots that can really stress them. It, I, I'm going to say it starts with Jalen. Jalen Brunson is their first, second, and third priority. Hmm. Um, it starts with him. They want to get the ball out of his hands. The second part is the Knicks have Ansley Playmakers. Who can make so Josh Hart is great in four on three. Like give him the ball in space. Yes. He can make uh plays. He is a like his percentages are great as a shooter. He just can shoot enough. And then on a day like today, it's like the thing is like coming to the series, you know, we did pods with we did a pod with a Cavs fan. I've done pods with Cavs fan. We would always say we're happy to let mm-hmm. Isaac Okoro shoot. Like they I don't we don't, like the Knicks are not gonna believe that Isaac yeah. Okoro burned them. They said the same about RJ Barrett. In the last two games, that has been proven false. RJ, if you let seemed RJ delusional play. to me. That seemed that's always seemed crazy to me. RJ is yeah. way out of Isaac Okoro. They might say the same thing about Karis LeVert, but he has outplayed Karis LeVert the last two games. Um, mm-hmm. So in terms of the like the like the Knicks were like, we'll make Isaac Okoro beat us, and the Cavs fans said, well, we have Karis LeVert. They beat us game two. Game three, I, I, I was at the Garden. And every shot that Karis LeVert made felt like just how is he making these? He finished with 17 points mm. and 17 shots. Um, mm. 
RJ Barrett has put down not only two good scoring performances, but two very efficient scoring performances with playmaking attached. So to your point, yeah, it's delusional. Or it was it was a much more higher upside play for the Knicks. Like let RJ Barrett beat us is a lower percentage strategy than let Karis Levert or certainly Isaac Okoro beat us. Mm-hmm. Um I also think that um th- like the Cavs are a great team. Like I'm not gonna denounce them, but the Knicks can body that like Mitchell Robinson was incredible in the glass. Isaiah Hardenstein has been incredible in the glass. Um they can do those things, and if you want to play as aggressive with your bigs, you know that Julius Randle has been good on the glass for the first two games. I don't know what was up with Julius Randle today. I know I've said it 15 times in this pod. But then at the end, Obi Toppin had a huge offensive rebound. I thought he was terrific. He really um, – and, you know, we'll get into it later, but, like, it is shocking, like, how many guys on the Knicks who you could probably argue, like, man, if I was one of – if I was Obi Toppin, I'd be like, I'm, I'm a really good – I'm – I can jump out of the gym. I'm a smart player. I can pass the ball. I run the court like my ass is on fire. Like I, um, I really try hard. I'm a. I can handle the ball a little bit. I, I can shoot. You know, close to league average, and I'm getting 13 minutes a game. It'd be very easy for him to to kind of go into his shell, and say, you know, fuck this, and he hasn't done that all season. He didn't do it last season. He did it the year before. He instead, on a night when they really needed him because Joe Randall didn't have it, came up with – but he did it with those plays. And it's funny because I think – I don't know if it was this pod or, you know, I was on a pod. I was talking about it before with someone, and they were like, you know, Isaiah Hartenstein struggled for the first third of the year. He started to rebound at a much better level, started to block shots at a much better level. And then Tibbs was like, okay, now you can operate at the top of the key. Throw, um, throw, throw some of these backdoor passes. Like, now we can – like, he didn't let him do the Hardenstein stuff. And he had to do the other stuff. And I, mm-hmm. I wonder if that could happen with Obi. But to answer mm-hmm. your question, I think it's the fact that the Knicks have a legitimately – a guard who, like, there is no bad shot for Jalen Brunson. That's that's a thing. Like, he's going to not shoot great every time, but he can always get a shot that is makeable. Um, the other part is that – the Cavs thrive on turnovers. The Knicks are a team that limits turnovers. The one game they turned the ball over a lot, they got blown out. They've generally limited them. The Cavs are a weak defensive rebounding team. The Knicks have beat them in offensive on, on the glass. And the last thing is the Knicks are a team that loves to overhelp, and the Cavs are a very top-heavy team that doesn't have ancillary threats that can beat you. Like, yeah, this is, you know, I think that in terms of, if you told me, like, if you played an 82-game season and you were like, who's going to finish with the better record? There's a lot of reasons to believe the Cavs would. I think especially since the Hart trade, they're like pretty even on that level. But like, other than the Knicks are way better than the Cavs, I think they match up extremely well with them for the reasons I listed. If you add Mikael Bridges to either one of these teams, are they a title contender? That's a really good question. So if you replace Isaac Okoro with Mikael Bridges... Mm-hmm. And RJ. Well, RJ is a tough one to pick on tonight. Um, but you have to replace a starter, I assume, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think the Knicks are and the Cavs aren't. That might sound biased. Still no on the Cavs, huh? Yeah. Um, Why is that? Because of depth still? Because, like, I, I think that if you face a team, part of it is, like, it is. This is another thing. It quickly does when quickly is the guy on Levert. Levert isn't scoring because quickly can quickly is great at helping and closing out. This right. recovery speed is he moves like a defensive back in football. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there are teams that I think Milwaukee would be able to still do that to Mikael Bridges. Um, mm-hmm. But on the Knicks, uh, if you do that, um, they just have more options, right? They have more players to swing it to. And if you're you're closing out like that, the Knicks are a better rebounding team. So I think that the Knicks could be, but the thing is, I, like if RJ Barrett, like RJ Barrett showed his his value because Brunson was really in a funk for a large part of the second half. Like we've talked, I have said that Brunson yeah. is the best part of his team. He's who transforms them into a great team. But Ar- Randall was basically a no show. I don't think that's unfair to say, at least on offense. And the defense was worse. Um, 
quickly, I thought got good shots, couldn't get them to fall. I thought he made good decisions. I do think quickly, like when he screens for Brunson, it creates way more space than when Hart does. It's not because he's bigger or sets bigger screens, but it's because the Cavs are more worried about yeah. quickly flaring out to three than they are with Brunson. So Brunson can, or than they are with Hart. So Brunson can reject the screen. He has more options. Um, but quickly didn't have it going. Um, RJ was like, you know, and that's kind of something because, you know, we, we did a pod Strickland's pod with, with um John Schmelk and he said, you know, one guy for the Knicks to look at is, is Zach Levine. And if you know Schwinn, Schwinn is like on on trading for, for Zach Levine. I'm not a big fan of it either because I think Brunson can get you those shots. But the reality is the Knicks probably are not at the optimal level of shot creation. And Barrett gave them to that to get gave that to them tonight when Brunson was a little bit hit or miss. And Randall was really struggling the whole game. And it was really Barrett who was able to get to where he wanted at will. And when when when, when the Cavs collapsed on him, he was making good decisions. Like, I mean, it's tough for me to not, like, I know I've been circling every conversation back to RJ Barrett, but it's tough to not because he was, he was awesome tonight. Let me ask you this. If you could trade straight up RJ or Grimes for Bridges, who would you trade? I would still trade RJ. Uh, I guess yeah. a little bit more. But Just like fit wise. Fit wise, I mean, give me if like if, if like the thing is, Brunson is still the guy, and RJ and Randall is still going to be the guy. I'm not going to change that on one one um, mm-hmm. game. And so, if you have a borderline All NBA defender who can knock down threes like Bridges can, you know, it's it's tough to argue for that because because RJ is still like. I thought RJ's shooting performance, like the numbers are going to underlie what it was. I think he took good shots. He had a couple of mm-hmm. just like halfway down and rimmed out. Yeah, he did. Um, so like this, but like I'm still um, like I know Grimes can, is going to be a forty percent three point shooter. I know he's going to be great at the point of attack, and I know he can do it for eighty two games. I like RJ has been great the series, and like that matters a lot more than you know a lot of the regular season games, but. I haven't seen him put together a whole season of great defense. So. Let me give you one last question. I'm going to throw a series of numbers at you and then ask you about it. So for Cleveland today, Jared Allen played 40 minutes. Donovan Mitchell played 42. Levert played 39. Mobley played 35 but had six fouls. And Garland played 36 but had four fouls. I see those numbers and I watch these games and two things come to mind to me. One is so far, Mitchell and Garland have not really both been great in the same game. And I'm wondering if that's systemic in in this playoff setting. Like obviously in the regular season, they both had games where they were hitting, but I'm wondering in this series, I haven't watched them and seen like, Oh, they're so close to, to both blowing up. If just a couple shots from them, haven't seen that. And when I see the minutes that the starters are playing, and this was both games in New York, and even late in the Cleveland blowout, Bakerstaff had his guys in very late. To me, that looks like Cleveland doesn't have any other ideas. Wait, did you they would have played all five starters 40 minutes if not for foul trouble. And it's not like those starters were kicking ass the whole game. That just tells me I don't know if they have the depth or the ideas, not just to win, but to offer, I know I'm inviting the jinx here, but to offer any kind of a meaningful adjustment like they did in game two. Because it just seems like, okay, the Knicks responded, and you're just going to play your five guys as close to 48 minutes as you can? Well, It looks to me like a team that has an idea what to do. So did you – did you – so I was – I'm sorry. I was told that Tom Thibodeau was being an asshole because he played Julius Randle at the end of Game Two. Are you saying that there was a cat? Their Cavs starters were still in. Um, like, let's say, was Jared Allen still in the game at that point? And would you call Jared Allen an important player? He was because he he assaulted Randle with about two minutes left in that game, two and a half minutes left. Yeah, and then Randle assault. I, I Randall assaulted him. I haven't gotten to talk about, but like. If you guys can get to a next playoff game, I highly recommend it. When Randall just stole oh, yeah. 
deservedly so, and then immediately came back and hit a three on Mobley. That was um, I've never like the, the Garden was just insane all game. I didn't get to go today. Um, yeah, I mean this is like everyone has said the Knicks. It doesn't matter. The Cavs have the best player in the series. The Knicks depth doesn't matter, and it's been proven wrong all series. This is a really well-built team. Like, we just have to accept that, and maybe it won't matter as much. Like maybe Giannis is that different level of star versus um, versus Donovan Mitchell, and, and he probably is. Um, and I mean, they're just a bad like. There's things like if and when Mobley learns to shoot or can shoot from outside the paint, that is going to be a thing. Like, I, this Knicks team isn't beating that team if Mobley is a threat from outside the arc. Um, I think that's a fa- and I think that that's a big problem. The the Bucks pose is like, you know, the Knicks have great interior defense, but if Mitchell Robinson has to worry about Brook Lopez out of three, it compromises things, right? I think Randall is strong enough to kind of deal with Giannis, but it's Giannis, um, and they can throw Drew Holiday at Brunson. It's a tough team, so, um, you know, I I, I don't. But to answer your question. Like I think that they they gave a lot of I think they had good adjustments. Like they getting Garland involved off ball was a good one. One thing they haven't gone to a ton, which I I'm curious to see if we will. If the Knicks are gonna put Brunson on Garland, they didn't screen for Mitchell with Garland much. And that gives you the same effect, right? The reason that they the reason that the Knicks have to switch was they had Brunson on Leverts. So they said, all right. I'll make Brunson defend as the role man in pick and roll. Yeah, there's a switch. Or if they're hedging, Levert's going to be open. Or he has to hedge and recover, which he's not great at. That works. You can do that with Mitchell. If Garland is being guarded by Brunson, they didn't do that. It's, I'm curious to see if they do that. But, like, they're playing – besides Levert, they play – I thought Okoro actually played really good defense – for as limited as his offensive repertoire is, I thought he did a good job of recognizing when the Knicks were giving him real space and getting to the rim. He had some nice finishes. He hit a three. But that's, you know, you're punting away essentially on one end on offense. You're expecting mm-hmm. Mitchell and Garland to be incredible to make up for mm-hmm. a horror. And Osman and Danny Green just haven't moved the needle at all. <coughs> and what, I mean, Rubio has played. That hasn't worked at all. No. No, they really they need they need Mitchell and Garland to go nuclear, which I think that they have the ability to do that. But for forty eight minutes, it's tough. And and I I think that I'm, I wouldn't be worried about the Cavs long term because I think like Mobley will get to the level where like yeah. he can be that third if not second guy. Like he's that yeah. he's going to be that good at some point. And you saw like he had a couple of he had flashes today, right? Like he has the, like once you get let him get the ball deep, he can dunk from three feet away because his arms are long and he's that athletic. But right now he's not that. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I think the Knicks are in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. It's a nice I just this before we leave. Yeah. Um, this Nick, I, I have said this a lot. Josh Hart seems to be the quintessential 90s Nick. But the whole team, like, you saw how they're de- – like, that second quarter, the way they defended. I haven't talked about Deuce McBride at all. Like, I think Donovan Mitchell is going to be seeing Deuce McBride in his sleep. McBride played five minutes. I don't think Donovan Mitchell scored. He had to try this Hail Mary shot. under the. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy to see that from a second-year player against an all-NBA player. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that, that much of difficulty, but we've seen that from Deuce McBride before. I thought he was incredible. Uh, kudos to RJ for setting him up for an open three. Deuce knocked it down. Uh, but it was just him. It was hard. I think quickly has been incredibly engaged on ball, on defense the last couple games. I thought this is the best Mitchell Robinson has looked on defense in his career. Um, does this team remind you of any of uh, any of the past Knicks teams? And, and how do we contextualize it? Because it's been a long 20 years. They haven't been great. But I also think that, you know, if you watch some of those 90s teams or for fans who watched, you know, the 70s Knicks, I get why you might be a little bit upset comparing this team to those teams. But, um, but I think you've seen a lot of that and, and you're very knowledgeable on history. You know, where does this – how would you contextualize this next teams and in, in that historical, I just used the word context 15 times, but historical context. besides the 92 and 99 Knicks, I think if you want to go back further, um, a parallel you could draw is probably to the 68 team where 
the Knicks at that point had they were just building up into what they were becoming. Um, they had not had a history of success as a team yet. They had not added the final pieces that they needed yet. They didn't have to push her yet. Um, but they had foundational pieces. Holzman was there. Uh, Reed Frazier were there. I think Bradley was there. Barnett was there. Um, they had a lot of pieces there, and they were just starting. They weren't. They weren't at that level. They met. I, I think the Celtics. I think they played the Celtics that year, and the Celtics handled them. But they were coming, and then it was the next year was when they added DeBusher, and then it was the next year when they won the title. I think this next team. I don't think. Was Josh Hart the DeBusher trade for this team? They got the rights to Josh Hart in that trade. That's why it was such a good deal. They got so much for it. Um, no, I can't put Hart there yet because Hart. The Busher was the finishing piece. Hart's not the finishing piece. Hart's a great piece. Hart advances them. Hart is a whatever you want to call them force multiplier, floor raiser, ceiling raiser, all that stuff. But DeBusher was literally like, you know, the crowning, that, that's it. Like, Voltron is now working. Everything is together. Hart is not quite at that, Hart's not at that, at that level of impact, not yet. If they change pieces around, maybe he could be that way. I, I was very curious during the regular season if Hart is a better fit as a type of three for them than Barrett, depending on what you surround him with, particularly if you're going to chase another star who can score then I can see Hart's significance growing. But he's not the busher yet. Um, but the playoffs are young. And again, he had you know one of the definitive shots of the, of the game today. He had this crazy turnaround late in, that only Josh Hart would make where he, was in the, he wasn't even looking to shoot. And he got it, cut it into the lane. And like he just literally had to turn around. And, and you knew it would go in because it was Hart, just like the shot he made late in game one to give them the lead. Like Hart would make that shot. So he's special. Um, but I'm going to hold off on the debusher to this point, to this point, but they do remind me of that team. And I, and it's, I, I wrote about this shortly before the playoffs, like enjoy these teams and these moments, because this is basically your perfect storm of my team is playing awesome. And I am not crushed by expectations yet. That's going to start next year. And that's going to be a lot of fun for a lot of Nick fans to adjust to right now. 92 was a blast in part because there were no there was no formed expectations. So they collapsed at the end of that season. They blew the division. They dropped from the two seed to the four seed. Everybody was pissed because that put them in the Chicago bracket for the second round, and it gave them the Pistons in the first round, which nobody wanted that. If they had won the division, they would have played the Pacers. And this is the Chuck Person, not the Pacers of later years. But that team got they played Detroit in a very tough even first round that went the limit. It was thrilling, it was exhilarating, it was physical, it was brutal, um, hard fouls and, and a lot of chippiness. And it was such a rush when they won. And if this team wins this series, the rush is gonna be unreal. Um, I'm already pumped for it, not only as a fan, but like I've never covered the Knicks winning a playoff series. All the I started covering them in 14. So I have never had the experience of writing about the Knicks advancing. I'm pumped about that. And then when they got to the next round, playing the dominant team with the dominant player in the sport, there were no expectations. So everything that came was gravy. 92 was much more fun than 93, 94. 92 was the most fun year the Knicks had until 99. Because every year in between, some sort of expectation was disappointed and that's what the focus was it wasn't as fun at the time as people like to talk like it was it really wasn't 93 ended brutal okay you had consecutive home consecutive home games you went from the dunk to charles smith that was a brutal year 94 so close and you lose brutal year 95 you lose on a finger roll 96 riley's not there anymore you're trying to find your way as an organization. 97 is the P.J. Brown fight. 98 is Ewing breaking his wrist. There was nothing fun between 92 and 99. And obviously I'm exaggerating. There was. But a lot of people missed it because their focus was only on expectations. So for this team, this season, I am luxuriating in the fact that I have had no 
haven't come into the season with an expectation of a record or I had no idea what the team would be. So everything has been gravy. So whether it's Milwaukee or Miami in the next round, I'm going to take what they give me. I'm going to be very, very happy. I encourage other people to do the same. Tough to argue with that. <laughs> What's that? Tough to argue with that. What, I'm sorry, I can't hear what you're saying. Tough to argue with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hopefully. But again, the swings are so crazy that if they lose game five, ask me then how I feel. <laughs> no idea. Yeah, no idea. I, I said this would go seven games earlier. I'm not ruling that out yet, but um, but the yeah. Knicks have been really dominant. Um, they had, like the third quarter, they got punched in the mouth, and honestly, at the third quarter, I thought like, oh, this is gonna end up a blowout. They're the last desperate team. The Cavs are really locked in, and they responded and and they won this game um, mm-hmm. probably. So mm-hmm. uh, the, the Knicks are good. <laughs> we can mm-hmm. just admit that. Yeah, yep. You have every reason right now to be very happy with your team up three to one and with the momentum. Um, next game will be Wednesday evening in Cleveland. Um, Knicks have won there, counting the regular season at least a couple times already this year. So fingers crossed. Uh, we will probably, I'm sure we'll do an episode either right before then or right afterwards. If I'm just going to tell you right now in advance, if the Knicks advance on Wednesday, Wednesday is my payday, and Wednesday is when I go out and get all of my fun little edibles and flowers and shit. So if we are doing, if we're on the air Wednesday night after the Knicks have won game five, I'm gonna now be really to. I'm gonna be really happy. I'm just letting everybody know. Now we have I'm to gonna, do that. <laughs> I'll be really happy. And if they lose, I'm gonna be really happy because I'm gonna need that medicine to get me through the game five loss. So either way, we will see you on when what probably see you Wednesday night or Thursday after something has happened. Um remember the Believe Nick podcast is presented by Bet Online. It's also presented by Stacy and me. That's all for now. We will see you all in a couple of days, hopefully with the Knicks on the verge of round two, whoever the opponent may be. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.